The book of Ecclesiastes, nestled in the Old Testament between Proverbs and Song of Songs, offers us some insight as to who we are and where we came from. Ecclesiastes 1.9 states, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun about drug addiction and alcoholism. Hi, I'm Ned Wicker, and this is Recovery Now. We welcome you. This is a half an hour of discussion about addiction, alcoholism addiction, addiction to drugs. But it's more about the human condition and talking about how we react to things as, as human beings and as people. Along with me is Reverend Dr. Dan Geating, who is the chaplain at Waukesha Memorial Hospital. Waukesha, Wisconsin is just a little bit west of Milwaukee. If you were to look at a map and follow I-94 just a little bit to the west, there's Waukesha, Wisconsin. Also with me is Debbie Wicker, who is the publisher of the website that you are reading uh, as you came to us this morning or this evening. And uh, Debbie has a computer background, and uh, actually this is being recorded onto a computer, and it's because of Debbie that this is happening. Debbie, I first of all, just thank you for that. I mean, Well, you're welcome, and good morning, everyone. And I shouldn't <laughs> have said good morning because it's afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, actually, this is uh, being recorded in the morning, so it's a little hard for us. Our clocks are off. And, and, and Dan, thank you. Well, thank you, and I'm uh, real pleased to be here. And I think we're going to be have a great uh, topic that we can uh, discuss and uh, and really gain some hope by uh, dialoguing together. I took a look at Dan's doctoral dissertation, and right at the beginning of it, I found an old uh, an excerpt from an old hymn, "O God and Father of Mankind," borrowed from John Greenleaf Whittier's poem, "The Brewing of Soma." And it, it was written as a response to the use of morphine during the Civil War. Well, that is interesting. We, we think of, we think of uh, addiction to opiates, and we think of something new, like something 1960s, countercultural, drugs, sex, and rock and roll. But this is really a very, very old topic. But anyway, the, uh, the poem from Dan's doctoral dissertation goes, Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive us our foolish ways. Reclothe us in our rightful mind. In uh, purer lives, thy service fine in deeper reverence praise. Drop thy still of quietness till all our striving cease. Take from our souls the storm and stress and let our ordered lives thy beauty of thy peace breathe through the hearts of our desire thy coolness and thy balm let sense be numb let flesh retire speak through the earthquake wind and fire O still voice of calm and Dan that was a wonderful selection leading into a discussion on addiction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that uh, really uh, grabbed me in uh, looking at it. And also it pointed to me that addiction has been around forever. 
And I was uh, reading, one of my favorite authors is Dr. Gerald May, and he, uh, in his work, Addiction and Grace, he is a uh, medical physician. He also is a theologian. And this was one of the best works that I have ever read in integrating looking at addiction and theology. But one of the statements that he made that uh, just captured me was the fact of saying that um, to be addicted is to be human. And to be human is to be addicted. And that how our makeup is in just the physical responses that we have, how easy it is to become addicted. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, why, don't, why don't we back up for a little bit? And, mm-hmm. and just what is addiction? Now, we're talking about drug addiction. We're talking about alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about the human condition. And that's the, interesting. Uh, the condition of that. And I found a quote the other day. Uh, in one of our affirmations, we have an affirmation box here at the hospital, and this came out, and it says, A bad habit is like a comfortable bed, easy to get into, but hard to get out of. And I thought, boy, that uh, gives me a visual of addiction, easy to get into, hard to get out of. Well, De- Debbie, you're an early riser, and I know you know a lot about getting out of bed because you try to get me out of bed in the morning, and it's it, it's hard to do. But uh, uh, from your perspective, I mean, Dan and I have have worked together for a while, and we've worked with addiction and everything. But sort of for the 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 man on the street perspective, and, and how do you see that? And I, I think the frustration about addiction is that most people that have an addiction don't know it. And people that are married to someone with an addiction are frustrated because they don't understand it. So I think when people ask the question, what is addiction, I think they're thinking of it personally. They're thinking, is my husband an alcoholic if he has three drinks when he gets home from work? Um, how much can someone take to be an addict? And if they are an addict, what, what can be done about it? I think uh, along with that is uh, many people may be in the state of abuse versus it getting into an addiction. And how do they tell the difference? How do they tell if their husband is an addict versus simply just abusing? And does it matter? Well, the results can be uh, <laughs> devastating in abuse, and uh, and what happens, it becomes very chronic, I think, from abuse, is that when you cannot stop and it's different to have a habit, but then the habit has you. There's an ongoing discussion in the medical community, I know, about alcoholism, about drug addiction. Is it a disease or is is it not a disease? And, and, and that you bring that up, and there's a lot of opinion out there, Dan, on that one. How do, how do you see it? Is it a disease or is it a condition or what is it? I th- I think that uh, with the various theories, whatever you know, you can look at it as a disease. And I think the the aspect of looking at it from the medical model is that uh, you look at the physical aspects of of it. Uh, disease progression is a perfect disease. Given enough time, it will destroy every aspect of a person's life. Physically, you can see that. But on the other side, just as we have grown and morphed 
in medical treatment uh, and we look at holistic healing, I do think that uh, we also, maybe there can be a little reconciliation going on in the fact that you do have, you have medical aspects that you can see disease progression and the effects of the chemical to the physical aspect, but then you have psychological effects, you have your spiritual, uh, those dynamics of the spirit, and, uh, and then we also have behaviors, uh, destructive behaviors, and then what is so interesting about this, it really does become a family disease because everything the the alcoholic or the addict touches, it becomes like a tornado and destroying everything about them along with themselves. And that's why it's so difficult to get treatment for it because it isn't just one thing. It's not like a broken arm. Mm-hmm. You have to have spiritual treatment. You have to have medical treatment. You have to have psychological treatment. And you have to have family treatment. Right. And I think a person coming into it that's not expecting that their husband is going to be or their wife is going to be an alcoholic, it's hard for them to, to understand all those treatments that right. are necessary. And there are also multiple aspects that uh, I do think what is important about uh, getting treatment is because it is complex and you might have an addiction to a chemical, but there might be underlining symptoms and psychological symptoms that sometimes uh i know in treatment sometimes they'd say oh it was wonderful because we had a a pure alcoholic that alcoholism was the only precipitating disease versus sometimes people have a mental health issues uh depression uh guilt shame what are the things that went into the causes it's sort of like symptoms how did how did we get to where we were and i do think that uh treatment is very very helpful in that process what is interesting to me in 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 talking with people over the years is if i go into the hospital and i have a broken leg shattered in 16 places and the surgeons come in and they consult with me I go into the uh, operating room, and they fix me, and there's not a whole lot of discussion about it. There's no stigma attached to it. But with the alcoholism or addiction, there's a stigma, there's a societal thing going on there. And, and Debbie, I, I think your point is really well taken because when, you know, the spouse may not understand or the children don't understand, the family doesn't understand, and there's all this other stuff that's involved with it. If you have a broken leg, well, poor baby, you've got a broken leg. Let's send you flowers. Let's give you some candy and some love and attention, and pretty soon you're going to heal. But with addiction or with alcoholism, there's something completely different going on there. There, It always seems like there is always a blame attached to a drug addiction or alcoholism an accusatory finger well who can we blame and I, we all like to have uh play the blame game and i do think also in the um stuff that is going on that uh that as we look at the primary sources we do the difference of a broken leg 
is that you can deal with the leg, and yet, even with a leg, there are systems that need to be addressed. The doctor can do the work, the hospital can do the work, but there still is recovery time. And one of the things that I think with uh, addiction in any healing of a wound, I worked in an x-ray department in seminary, and I was in the dark room. What always amazed me was no matter how painful and hurtful a wound was, they had to get to the source and they had to get that x-ray. And one thing I think of that happens is in addiction, in recovery, yes, we're talking about things, and you can say, well, where is the hope if this is so it's, overwhelming? Know, yeah, that's exactly what and people you're, say. You're There's just, just too much. You're, you're talking. telling me I've got psychological problems, whatever. Yes, and I think that that is, you know, well, this is, we're talking about this, well, where do I begin? And that's where the exam comes in, and we look at the extent of the wound in view of healing. And when we look at the extent, we have to know the damage done. Look at now where do we go from here? And that's what they do in a hospital model. But then you put a cast on the wound. And the cast for me in addiction is recovery and starting with the process of recovery. And I think that that is where one of the keys is admitting are powerless, Amandrell, to really know that there is a problem is the beginning. Well, just let me say one thing is that I've just got a letter from a woman who has a prescription drug addiction and she has for 20 years. And the reason is she had a horrible car accident when she was in her early years. And since then, she's been addicted to a variety of drugs. In her mind, it's helpless. And it's helpless because it's so long there's so many different aspects to it, and she just doesn't feel like she can overcome it. What, what would you say to about recovery to a person in that situation? I would say that uh, nobody plans to be an addict. As many groups that I have done in recovery, if you ask them, did you plan to be an addict? No. What their intent was was to find relief from uh, pain, trying to find a solution, and then also some people just like to have a good time and it feels good and it empower, it's a false empowerment, but, uh, it can start very innocently, but all of a sudden it gets out of control. So her situation is no different or no more helpless as an example than, right. than a- another addict. She's just feeling that hers is worse. Everybody feels theirs is worse <laughs> i think <laughs> that's my own opinion when it's me on that side it's worse it's worse so she could potentially go into recovery oh, and yes. recover there's another aspect of this is kind of interesting is 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 addiction drug addiction or alcoholism is it a uh, is it a is it a choice well if if you were stronger or if you were didn't moral. have as, if you were moral if you were moral yeah i hear that all the time but, oh, you know, this is self-inflicted, and it's all your fault. And and you know what? I do think it uh, addiction is something that we don't intend to. However, I think there are choices that we do make that we're not aware of them. Uh, the person that uh, eats strawberries and gets a rash 
Doesn't eat strawberries. Doesn't eat strawberries. But to start out with, they didn't know. And I think the choice is that, uh, is to look at how do I break free of this addiction? And it doesn't mean that, um, it's easy. I remember a scripture verse that I really like and it says, the truth shall set you free. It can set me free, but it can sure be painful. And it does take work to stay healthy, not out of addiction, but it's very easy to go the downward, a slippery slope and you become out of shape. You know, it does take work to be healthy. However, the benefits are wonderful. The truth shall set you free. And that's, that, we hear that all the time, but the problem is, is you've got to be willing to hear it. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of people who say, well, the truth will set me free, but I don't necessarily right. want to hear that truth. And one of the symptoms of addiction, one of the major things to start in recovery is to break denial, to realize, to come to the place that this woman said she has a problem. That's a wonderful breakthrough. There was a woman that I met a number of years ago. She was just a fascinating lady who had in addiction to prescription pain medication. She had had a knee injury. There was surgery done to repair that injury, but the pain medication thing got out of control. Soon she was robbing the grocery money, and she did a whole lot of things that she was not particularly proud of, uh, wound up in a, uh, a rehab facility. She was having intense pain in this knee, and they said, well, no problem. We're going to send you to a, a local doctor. And she goes to the doctor, and he examines her knee and gets the medical history and says, well, I'll, I'll give you this, and you're going to feel better. She says, oh, no, I can't have that. She says, I'm addicted to this pain medication. In that moment, you know, she had gotten to the point where she was accepting that, and she was, you know, she was taking ownership of that. I can't have this pain medication because I'm an addict. And he looks at her, and there's this wonderful moment that takes place. He says, well, I have a 19-year-old son who's been doing drugs, and I'm really worried about him. Do you suppose you could help him? So here is the addict who is seeking to get help, who knows that she's in a predicament, and all of a sudden she becomes the caregiver. She becomes. She met with this kid, right? But it was a major turn for her in, in, in her recovery process because she had taken ownership of that. You know, don't eat strawberries if you have an allergy to strawberries. I can't do this. I am willing to live with the pain in my knee because I know I have to get over this addiction. And there's another side of truth that I, I would also like to bring out and that they're, they're not horrible people. So some, I don't think people, some people are not afraid of the truth. They understand the truth, but they think they have no value. They think the truth is that they're a jerk. Right. And because they think that, so they think that what they're facing is admitting that they're a very bad person. And really that isn't what recovery is. They have value. Everyone has value. They are not a jerk. They just got caught up in addiction. So, so part of truth is obviously admitting the bad part. But it's also admitting that they have value and that they're 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 worth something. So there's a double side to truth. Well, there's sort of a, a scarlet letter thing going on. You're Hester Prynne, and you've got that great big A. Only it says addict, and 
but that gets back to the societal thing. There's sort of a shunning that's going on. You're an addict. You're 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 a jerk. You're not worthy. But if you if you look at addiction the same way you would look at uh, at the broken leg, and say, so, okay, the, the, here's a condition. Here's a problem. Here's a disease. I have to manage this thing. I have to get on with my life. What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. But we make a bigger deal about it than it really is, I think. And, you know, one of the things is also, um, is it a choice? And we go back to the aspect of the disease, the medical model of the disease and the studies done, that uh, alcoholism is so rampant throughout society that we also have to look at our own personal family history. And to see, and if a person comes from a history where there is a lot of addiction and that, to look at that, I think, is important because it helps us to see, are we at at high risk? And uh, addiction, it is, it is not just me. And I think that uh, it looks at, I remember uh, being at a, the treatment center in a Presbyterian hospital in Oklahoma City for 10 years as as one of the chaplains. And one thing they had was a family week that people could look and identify where they were with the addict in recovery. And I think helping the whole family to see the person as sick getting well versus bad getting value. good. Oh, definitely. Also having value. Definitely. And I think that is is very helpful. One of the things that that I hear a lot, speaking of value, is people don't have a sense of their own identity. The addiction or the alcoholism has taken over. And when that happens, I, I, I have no value, I have no purpose, I have no reason to get up in the morning, and the, and the addiction is taken over. But if we get back to the core of what we are as human beings, and I think that's where the 12-step is particularly valuable, because you get in touch with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, mm-hmm. uh, and it says step number 12, and and so I, I I think from the very beginning people have to get a sense of I I am worth it, and I think that one of the things that was a privilege as a chaplain working with, uh, in a recovery center it was really out of a twelve step model it was really out of Hazelton out of Minnesota it's very strong in twelve step, and one of the things that. I, as a chaplain, was able to do is walk through a fifth step. This is when recovery was many more days, like 40 days. We don't have that privilege anymore, but we were able to journey, and many times they would do a first fifth step, that the, that initial time of admitting to themselves, to God, another person, the exact nature of wrong. And I remember as we went through that, I was dealing with a drug addict, young man, and... And I asked him to introduce himself. And we had gone through the fifth step. And he had read Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have made me. You know me totally. Check if there's any uh, harmful way in me. Lead me. You know, going through that. But here he had done in his fifth step, admitted his wrongs. But also he admitted 
his value, that he's getting in touch and recovery. And one of the things that I had him do, I had him stand in front of his mirror and say, hello, I'm Kevin, I'm an addict alcoholic. And he could do that. And then I said, Kevin, you're more than that. I said, I want you now to add this introduction. Hello, I'm Kevin, I'm an addict alcoholic, and I'm a child of God. And when he said that, the tears streamed down his face, and he realized, I can have a disease, but it doesn't. I am a person of value and worth. And it was just a powerful, private moment. It was a holy ground of recovery, and I think it gets back to that essence of coming to value and knowing that we are created with worth. We're very special, and uh, nothing can taint that. And that's the total truth. Right. That's Rather a total truth. Rather than just that we've done things wrong. And that's where the, the whole idea of shame is something is wrong with me. And there's many things on the website uh, of books that we, our audience can go to and look, and they, they have on wonderful ways of dealing with the shame and how to get rid of that. I remember going by a treatment room, and uh, and literally that counselor would say, I give you back the the." the recovery person would say, I give you back the shame. It's not mine. I give it back to you. And they would literally throw a pillow and say, it's not mine. I'm free of that. And very powerful when they were giving back their shame and the freedom to be free. And and I think recovery is a theme is happy, joyous, and free. Mm. But I think most people view it as I am probably not worth it. I think that's why depression and suicide become such a huge part of addiction because people spiral down and their position is, yeah, I know if I go to 12-step, I'm going to find out all the bad stuff I did. I'm going to find out everything I've done wrong. And I don't know that they see the other side and know that you're also going to find out your worth, your value. The both and part. (laughs) Okay, that's about all the time we have this week. Uh, Next week, We're going to be talking about the effects of addiction. You know, a lot of people say, I'm only hurting myself. What's the big deal? Why don't you get off my back? We're going to be talking a little bit about that. Dan Gating, thank you very much. Thank you. I enjoyed being here with both Uh, of you. And my wife, Debbie, I love you dearly. Thank you. Thank you, and goodbye, everyone.